We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hello, I'm Cheryl Broderson, and Jasmine Allnut is on vacation. Can you believe that? So I'm doing this session with somebody that we've mentioned before on this program, and I'm going to say her name correctly. I'm going to say Michelle Yule. You've heard me talk about her, only I called her Michelle Ule. And I think we even did an Ule. We -hmm. just, you know, just thought, you know, whatever fits, you know, we'll just try this. Michelle and I became acquainted via email. Actually, my husband, Brian, kind of arranged this, and she was a listener to this podcast. And what drew her attention is she's a writer and a historian, and she likes to write about women you should know also. So Michelle, tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you came to write about some of these women. I flipped a coin before I went to college if I was going to major in English or in history, and it came up English. So that's what I did. But I've always been drawn to history. So in the many years since I graduated from UCLA, I've read probably four books of poetry and thousands of books of history. Mm -hmm. So that's really been my niche to be able to write and tell the stories within the context of their times and when their events happened. So while I am the author of Mrs. Oswald Chambers, her biography, I'm also a novella writer of both historical fiction and also a series of novellas. And they're all inspirational historical fiction. So it's a melding of the two using the spiritual gifts that God has given me and the insight and the context and just a lot of really great stories. Michelle, you also have this incredible ability because we've been talking now for like two days straight and I've been loving it, but also the research. You love the research, which is just so exciting. So I want to talk today about Mrs. Oswald Chambers. Can you talk a little bit about how this project came to you? Well, I was at work one day. I worked for a literary agent and someone called, looked for a book, a historical inspirational novel set starting on the day World War I began and ending the day World War II began. And um, my agent, Janet, said, well, let me think about it. And she and I discussed the idea afterwards. And we were like, man, how do you come up with an inspirational novel about World War One?" And we threw some uh, movie titles around. And then I remembered I had just finished reading David McCaslin's wonderful biography, Oswald Chambers, Abandoned to God. And I said, oh, the Oswald Chambers story. There it is right there. And Janet was like, what Oswald Chambers story? Well, he led a revival among the Anzac troops during World War I. There is your inspirational story. And so I wrote a novel called Poppy and Remembrance, coming-of-age story, in which Oswald and Biddy Chambers are what are called marquee characters, real people in a novel. And from there, Biddy kept changing my storyline, which is not impossible so in a Biddy novel. So Biddy is the actual... The actual Biddy. So I did my research on Oswald and Biddy. I was warned, you have to get them straight. Absolutely. Because I couldn't mislead anyone as to anything Oswald would have said, much less, you know, Biddy, his wife. So I did my research at Wheaton College, which is where the Oswald Chambers papers are in their special collections section. And I just looked at their life through the narrow lens of World War I, particularly the pictures, because they were in Egypt during World War I. What on earth would I know about Egypt during World War I? And then I just took that to days of information and I went home with it and then I wrote the novel. 
I have to say, though, that, you know, God is so wonderful and that he gives you gifts when you seek to do his will. So I was chatting with the archivist there, and I said, I looked at all the other papers they had there at Special Collections, including Madeline Langle's papers. And I said, gosh, I wonder if you have the letter I wrote Madeline Langle. And he said, well, maybe. When did you write it? And I told him. And he just kind of smiled and said, well, we'll see. Keith Call was his name. It still is his name. And... uh, The next day, he's looking through papers, and I'm scanning documents, and he said, so maybe you had a different address, different name? And sure enough, he had found the letter I wrote to Madeline Langle a week before I got married, a month after I graduated from college, and he handed me this letter, which I had not seen since I put it in the mailbox a long time before. To this day, I don't really know what I think. I held this letter, and I was overwhelmed because I had written her this fan letter, but I told her about my dreams and my hopes and my desires for my future. And standing there reading this letter, I began to weep because they had all come true. Wow. So I love to do the research because I, the most extraordinary things happen to me while I'm doing the research, including while writing Biddy and Poppy both. One thing after another, people would send me things. If you have anything about Oswald Chambers, feel free to email it to me. Um, and it's been one blessing after another. I've met so many wonderful people, interesting people. I've seen charcoal drawings that O.C. did that had never been seen before, stories about hunting his birthplace. You know, one day I got a, an email from someone. It was the day after I'd written about O.C.'s death, and he said, I'm Looking for information about Oswald Chambers' wife, Biddy, in Egypt in World War One, and he said my grandfather got there the day after O.C. died, and he attended his funeral, and I have photos. Wow! I had written this story the day before, and yes, Peter Wenham, we love you here in the United States. Um, all sorts of photos I just never seen. Now we might be dealing with an audience out there who probably doesn't know who Oswald Chambers was. Okay, and he's famous. I mean, for us who you know, I grew up with my utmost force highest the mm-hmm. devotional right but I think that there are a lot of people don't even know about that incredible devotional so give us a little bit about why we should know about Oswald Chambers before we even talk about Mrs. Oswald, Oswald Chambers excellent question uh, my utmost force highest is one of the best-selling devotionals of all time Christian devotionals of all time and some people believe it is like oh graduate level Christianity it's it's deep it's pithy it's 250 300 words Sometimes it's really clever. Sometimes it just nails you to the wall and turns. Yes. <laughs> a nail. And it has been remarkably important in my own personal spiritual growth. So Oswald Chambers was the, um, the president, the principal of a Bible training college in London from 1911 until 1915, at which time he joined the YMCA, Young, Young Men's Christian or Association, which served as the USO for the uh, troops during World War I, and he asked to go to Egypt. Um, the Bible Training College had been established and run as a missionary school based around prayer, and he knew that the men going into war and battle, whether it was up the line to Jerusalem or into the trenches of France, were facing, their lives were teetering on a life and death issue. Would they go into eternity with God or would they go into the grave and be blown away by dust at some later point? So he applied to go um, up with the YMCA, was accepted, and then he asked an audacious question, can I bring my wife and my two-year-old daughter with me? Well, at that time, the YMCA 
in Egypt had 14 secretaries, and none of them were married, and certainly no one had a child. So the YMCA said, well, you know, sure, if you, but you have to pay for it. And O.C. advanced, Oswald Chambers advanced on that. He moved out to Egypt. He got a lay of the land. He waited for God to tell him. And when the word came down from God, he wired home and said to Biddy, you can come now. They had closed the school at the end of the 1915 uh, school year. And I'll talk about what Biddy did when I talk about her life just a little bit. Yeah, I can't wait. Now, isn't my utmost for his heist, isn't that the second best-selling a Christian devotional? It could very well be. I um, mean, the other one, big one, is Streams in the Desert. Uh, they are both nearly 100 years old. They really stood the test of time. Both um, devotionals were written out of adversity, and um, there was a high price paid by both Biddy Chambers and um, Letty Cowman. So it's an important book. Uh, it was used, My Atmosphere's Highest was smuggled behind the Iron Curtain by Brother Andrew. It has just traveled the world. It's been translated into, I think, 40 languages, a whole lot of Indian dialects, uh, Indian subcontinent dialects. Uh, people read it every day. You can read it every day on utmost.org. And it's it has altered my way of praying. It's altered how I see God. It has, and I've been reading it since about 2000, so 20 years, 21 years. Um, and has informed my way of looking at God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in a different and more dynamic way. Mm -hmm. It's an important devotional. It can be tricky to understand, but um, that's why on my Facebook page I explain every day's devotional. That's excellent. So you can understand it. Okay, so. before we get into Biddy, and I definitely want to get into her story, and you know, this will probably be the rest of this podcast and another, mm -hmm. but one of the things that that I find very interesting mm -hmm. is that the two women that you have written biographies on in mm -hmm. the second book, I am praying gets published very soon, uh, both were involved with writing devotionals. Absolutely. Both Biddy and Letty were crucial to, well, they wrote, they compiled and wrote the devotionals and, um, and both books opened doors for them and for the gospel for the rest of their lives, well, all the way to today. They're mm -hmm. still opening doors um, in ways that people can't necessarily go, but words can. And uh, it's a delightful situation in honoring a wonderful God. Yeah, and you might have to come uh, back on this program another time when, and explore Letty Kalman. I know that we did two shows mm -hmm. on her. Mm -hmm. And and. From our conversations, I realized there's so much more. I can't wait yeah. uh, to have you back when you're in the area. And since we've got your daughter captive, we can keep bringing you back. So <laughs> I'm very excited about that. That's the best way. Get a family member, put them in Southern California, and then you have to come back. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, especially if you fly in at John Wayne Airport, we're like, we claim her first. You can have her <laughs> tomorrow. But we get her. So tell us— um, Tell us Biddy's story. The interesting thing about Biddy, and which most people don't know, including most people who love My Utmost for His Highest, is My Utmost for His Highest was first published in 1927, 10 years after Oswald Chambers died. That's a really interesting little factoid. How did a man publish mm -hmm. a book 10 <laughs> years after he died? Postmortem. And the answer is um, he didn't. And I will explain why, because I'll talk about Biddy's life. 
when I decided to write a biography of Biddy Chambers, the woman who was changing my novel, I had a question. And any good biography begins with a question, which is, how does this, where did this woman come from? Who is she? Uh, where did she learn the skills and the gifts that she needed to put together not just My Atmosphere's Highest, but 29 other books with Oswald Chambers' name on them? Her name doesn't appear in any of these books. And the answer is she was a phenomenal stenographer and a masterful editor compiler. Mm. So where did she come from? Woolwich, England. And she was born there in 1883, which was during Queen Victoria's reign. I assumed that she must have been the daughter of a pastor or some sort of a learned man. And the answer is she was the granddaughter of two bakers and the daughter of a basically a CPA. Wow. And that was it. She grew up in this town at a time when, and Woolwich is right next to Greenwich across the River Thames from London. And she grew up in a time when um, the thick black fogs would descend upon London and would just sit there on top of that The river. Industrial Revolution. Totally. Mm-hmm. And when she was about 12, 13 years old, the fog settled in one day and she began to cough. She began to have trouble breathing, and she had bronchitis, mm. which um, at that time was not uh, um, – there was no medication for that. You know, now you just take an asthma inhaler and you'd be able to breathe. But at that point, there wasn't, and they just put her to bed, and she stayed in bed pretty much for the rest of the winter. Mm. She loved to read. She loved going to school. She loved playing the piano. She loved to ride her bike, play with the dog. All of that was possible in the summer except for school. But otherwise, she was down. And so the years she was 13, 14, and then 15 were just grim. And after her 15th winter, well, the third winter in a row of of being sick, her parents removed her from school for good, which was devastating for a girl who loved poetry and so forth. And then the bigger blow happened three months later when her father died, Mm. uh, worn out from exhaustion, trying to give his wife the security and the life that she desired. Um, He loved his girls. He loved his son. Biddy was the third of three children, but she lost her father at 15, Mm. which was the same age her mother was when she lost her father and went into genteel poverty. Mm. So um, her older sister finished high school and went right to work. Um, Her brother, I think he finished and went right to work. And Biddy, her name was Gertrude Annie Hobbs. And I'll tell you where she got her nickname in just a minute. Yes, I was curious. Yes. (laughs) So Biddy, as we will call her from hence uh, forward, uh, took a stenography course, a correspondence course. They sent her the lessons. She did the lessons, and she sent them back. And her mother and sister um, allowed her. They read aloud, and she took everything down in shorthand is basically what it was. And in the days before we could do a transcription or speak into our microphone and have people just type it all out, this is the way that business was done with a shorthand a stenographer who just wrote it all down. Now I'm speaking to you at 130 w- words a minute, and that's considered relatively quickly. And Biddy could take down shorthand at 250 words a minute, or she would oh. already be on the next sentence while I'm still talking. <laughs> so she was phenomenal, a very, very good stenographer. Um, and then she learned how to type because she could then get a job in business as a stenographer typist. And soon enough, she was working at the Royal Arsenal right there at Woolwich and living her life. 
Eventually, the family moved uh, just to a, t- a town, Elam, just a little bit south, and it began to attend an Elam. 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 Oh, gosh, I said it wrong. I know. Elam Baptist Church. I live there. Sorry. And we have some friends who have a church in Elam. So okay, that's like, yes. Well, there we are. This there is a whole problem. Yes. Okay. Elam Baptist Church, a new church, and the new pastor's name was... The Reverend Arthur Chambers. Wow! And at Christmas time, his brother came to to preach a, a week long service, and his name was Oswald Chambers. Wow! Well, Mrs. Hobbs, of course, being a very hospitable woman, invited this wonderful young man to tea because surely a young man of his uh, brilliance and uh, marital status should be looking for a new wife, mm-hmm. or a, a wife, period, a good wife. And she had two eligible daughters at home. Well, O.C. knew he had no money and had no expectation he would ever marry. So he just was always kind of putting off wonder, wonderful mothers like this. But he was happy to come to tea and chat with these interesting, pretty girls and play with a dog. And, and he would do that periodically and over the next couple of years, I guess. And then off he went to America and a whole other story. And uh, in 1908, she met O.C. in 1905 there at Elam Baptist Church. You're so good. In 1908, her good friend, Marion, moved to the United States for the summer to take a job. And she wrote to Biddy and said, why don't you come and join me? I'll get you a stenography job here in, in New York City. And Biddy always had a kind of mischievous twinkle in her eye and an adventurous spirit. And she said, sure. So she booked passage to go to New York City. Well, her mother watched all this and happened to hear that Arthur, the Reverend Arthur Chambers' brother, Oswald, was also going on that same ship, the SS Baltic, to New York City. So she wrote him a letter and just said, you know, my daughter Gertrude is going by herself, and I wonder if you would mind just you know, checking in on her, you know, maybe meeting her at a meal so she won't feel quite so lonely. And here's Oswald Chambers, whose only vacations were when he was riding on a ship across the ocean. He was a speaker. He mm-hmm. was speaking and preaching and lecturing on, on God all over the U.K., you can almost hear him sigh in his return letter. Oh, yeah, I, yes, of course, Widow Hobbs, mm-hmm. I would be happy to look in on her from time to time. So off they sailed in May of 1908. He found her on board and saw her completely differently. Mm. Well, wait a minute, maybe I'd never quite had a, a, a lengthy discussion with Gert. Maybe she's prettier up close than I thought she was. <laughs> whoa, she really knows who God is, and she's learned, and she knows all about the, the Protestant League of Prayer here, and I don't have to introduce or explain all these people in my life. And yeah, let's have tea and dinner and breakfast and lunch. How about tea again and dinner? And I think by the second day, he was totally smitten. Oh. But O.C. had a problem, and that's that his favorite sister's name was Gertrude. And think how confusing this is. Mm-hmm. My attractive partner is Gertrude, and my sister is Gertrude, and Gertrude was tall and angular, and she looked a lot like her brother, who was, and she was not anywhere near as pretty as Gertrude Annie Hobbs. So he decided that he was going to give, going to give her a nickname. He was always big on nicknames, and so he decided to call her, ha, beloved disciple. Oh. Now uh, you tell me, oh, beloved disciple, would you like to have a cup of tea? Oh, beloved disciple, let's talk about the latest book. Oh, beloved disciple. Well, that's just too wordy. 
So he shortened it to her initials, those initials, B, D, and that morphed right into Biddy, and that's who she was for the rest of her life. And it was such an endearing nickname, you know, which was very secret. Nobody else knew, but it was between the two of them. Mm -hmm. That is so amazing. That answers a lot of questions, doesn't it? Yeah. Especially, but I think it's interesting because, you know, you and I were talking earlier just about how many times it's through tragedy Mm -hmm. that you get propelled into the circumstances that actually prepare you to do something great for God. And had it not been for that poverty and losing her father so young, she might never have taken the stenographer course or learned to type. Absolutely. No, that's totally, totally true. Um, We don't know. Mm -hmm. And then he presents us with an opportunity. She did have a goal, and her desire was to be the um, first secretary, first female secretary to the prime minister of England. Wow. Um, that's that's a good goal. That's a good goal. <laughs> but as it happened in her life, she turned out to be secretary to the great God whom her husband and she worshipped. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, yes, please. No, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapped. I'm ready to go back. I'm ready to go back. Commercial break. We are back. <laughs> so it was a 10-day voyage from Liverpool to New York City, and they fell in love. Mm-hmm. By the time they got to New York, they knew they were in love. They didn't know what that meant or where it would go, but they knew they were in love and they agreed to be writing. So she went and stayed with her friend Marion there in Brooklyn and Oswald Chambers traveled on to God's Bible School in Cincinnati and then did a series of camp meetings up and down the Eastern Seaboard that year. He returned to England in September, I think, and in October, Biddy and Marion returned to England. Um, It was interesting to look at the uh, manifest when they landed in England. They both listed themselves as unemployed and unmarried. But within, well, Marion got married the next year, but that soon changed. Um, Biddy quickly got a job, I think, for a lawyer. And um, And that's in New York. No, no, no. They're back in England Oh, they're back in England now. Okay. They came back. Mm -hmm. um, But halfway across the ocean, Marion got a telegram from her beau in England or in New York asking her to marry him, and mm-hmm. she just cabled back yes, and that mm-hmm. was kind of the end of Marion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, boy, Marion is off to get married in New York, and mm-hmm. where she lived happily ever after. I mean, okay. she did. So um, that was Marion. So Biddy had her job. Oswald was traveling all over England and over into Ireland as well, up into Scotland, as preaching. He was teaching classes for the Protestant League of Prayer, was an up-and-coming speaker, but he had no money, and... Uh, He and Biddy met in the one weekend he was in London during this period of time, and he walked over to St. Paul's, and they stood in front of Holman Hunt's painting, The Light of the World. You will probably remember it's Jesus standing in a garden holding a lantern, knocking on a door that has no doorknob on his side. And uh, he gave her this just gloriously unromantic um, (laughs) call to arms. It'll be poor. We will be ravished, but we will be in love. And if you'll marry me, we'll go off and do the Lord's business or something along those lines. It's on the first page of the book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't have it in front of me right now. And Biddy said yes. Mm -hmm. So what, you know, what was all that? There was no guarantee of when they would get married, but he did give her a ring and people prayed. And then he was off preaching somewhere and she went back to her job. They didn't marry until... A 1910. So it was almost two years before the situation warranted that they could get married. What was the age difference between them? Uh, nine years. Nine years. Which yeah, is, he was nine years that older. That was probably 
um, not only was that typical, but actually wasn't that great an age difference considering the times they were living in. In the times it wasn't, but he had mm-hmm. no money. He wasn't paid yes. because yes. of his, with his job, fuel, his ministry working for the League of Prayer, mm-hmm. they paid him nothing. He would go from church to church and they would draw a collection that would um, pay for his air, you know, train fare to the next spot. Mm-hmm. He would stay with people in the at the meeting, and he just did that for two years. I saw that as his ministry for God. But in early 1910, um, the leader of the Protestant League of Prayer died, and his wife and daughter took over and realized that if they were going to keep Oswald Chambers on, we we needed to let this man get married. I mean, what what better way to just Mm -hmm. keep him is he's married. And that's what happened. They were married in May of 1910. They took the same boat across the Atlantic Ocean to the United States and spent the summer at meetings up and down the eastern seaboard, camp meetings, visiting Marion and her husband, and uh, returned in 19, the fall of 1910 and in 1911, early 1911, opened the Bible Training College there at Clapham Common mm. in, uh, well, I guess that's uh, southwest London. And Clapham Common has come up quite a few times on this program, ah. um, mainly because of Hannah Moore. Sure. But also it, it's famous because of William Wilberforce, exactly. where the Clapham, Com, uh, Clapham Seven met mm-hmm. to pray the end of slavery. Yep. And uh, it's interesting because if you go to Clapham Common today, I don't know if you've been there, <laughs> but you see, I actually did a Bible study at one of the, um, it would be like welfare housing, but the states mm-hmm. uh, at Clapham Common, but there, and you see people of all different colors and you think, oh. This is where your freedom was prayed for. Absolutely. It's really exciting. So that's interesting to have Clapham coming back in that this is where the Bible College was. There's a rich heritage there. Absolutely. Clapham Common is also a very big and beautiful park in Mm -hmm. London. (laughs) But there they are. Yes. So they opened the school in 1911. They had, and Oswald was also just uh, writing, he was teaching a correspondence course on Bible. And over the next four and a half years, he graded something like 3,000 papers. And I'm not sure the exact number of students they went through, but there were quite a few. The Bible Training College was designed for prospective missionaries or people who weren't sure what they wanted to do with their life, but they wanted to serve God. And they, um, it was a live in school in the sense that, the, the building that they were in was actually a townhouse, a beautiful townhouse, six stories high, and they could house 24, 25 students. Those were their live-in students. And then the classes were open at night for anyone who wanted to come. They were taught, most of the classes were taught by Oswald, but he was augmented by a number of people through the years. Biddy herself taught a class on scripture memorization mm-hmm. or the Psalms. Uh, Biddy ran the school. She was the lady principal. O.C. was the principal. It was a school based on prayer. So prayer began every class, and then the students were invited to pray all day long. Uh, There were corners and nooks and crannies where they could sit and gather to pray. However God led them about their future, about their test perhaps, or their paper Mm -hmm. that was due, (laughs) whatever it was. But it was here that Biddy's ministry of interruption began. Um, if you went to her with a prayer need, she would put down whatever she was doing, be it a letter, a transcript, typing, and would listen to you and pray with you. Now, the ministry of interruption, is that your phrase or was that her phrase? That's my phrase. Mm-hmm. I love that. Because it's so pertinent to mm-hmm. life. You, you're like, oh, my word, here comes another person to bother me. Nope. Mm-hmm. Like Biddy, it's a, just a ministry of interruption. Mm. So there we are. Um, she 
sat in the back of the classroom of every class that Oswald lectured and took notes in her mm-hmm. 250 words a minute. He had seen this early in their relationship that, hey, I could speak and you could take it down and we could produce books. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened, though not in his lifetime. So she just compiled notes and th- that went on for four years. In 1913, she gave birth to their only child, Kathleen, who then spent her first two years there at the Bible Training College, doted on by a host of young women and friendly young men, and with her father always available and her mother probably raising her eyebrows in exasperation. Mm -hmm. Oswald Chambers loved children. It's really funny to see all those photos of him and Kathleen just, you know, engrossed in each other and Biddy kind of standing on the sidelines, almost as if she's raising her eyebrows, you know, like rolling her eyes. Here we go again, Mm -hmm. Oswald and Kathleen. Um, uh, he just he just relished his daughter. He also continued speaking, and Biddy just managed everything. She mm-hmm. managed the school, the students, the papers, all, everything. The home, and yes. Just was an incomparable, um, well, lady superintendent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, again, too, we often bring this into um, the context that to have a woman as an administrator mm-hmm. in that time was really a novelty. Yeah, we we were talking earlier, uh, the two of us, about how Frances Willard was the first dean of any school in the United States, and that was the late 1800s. It just, it was so, I mean, now we think, what? But at that point, this Mm -hmm. was really a novelty. So then war war broke out, World War I broke out on August 5th, 1914, and the school was about to start. They they wondered if they should continue or not. They just really weren't sure, but decided to proceed since they were ready to go. But it got pretty dire in London during those times. Uh, people were desperate to understand about war. Oswald preached, actually, about war um, just to kind of calm people down. They added special prayer times for the soldiers one day a week or maybe even a couple of days a week. They were all about supporting their nation at war. And of course, from London, you could almost hear the guns of the Somme mm-hmm. in um, northeastern France, because mm-hmm. there's only 120 mm-hmm. miles away across the Sound, or the Channel, I guess. So um, Oswald began to pray about being used for God's service and ministry through the YMCA in 1915. And because he was nearly 40 years old, and 40 was the cutoff, they made it a fleece. If he could be accepted into the YMCA, he would go, and if not, he would stay and continue running his Bible school. They took him, and as I alerted, said earlier, he asked if Kathleen and Biddy could come, and they said yes. But off he went to Egypt, and a couple months later, he sent her this telegram and said, you can come now. So Biddy and Kathleen and their good friend, Mary Riley, serving as Kathleen's nurse, caught the Herefisher for Port Said, Egypt, in December of 1915. Now, um, in 1984, my husband was serving on a submarine in the Caribbean Ocean and was coming ashore at Barbados. Mm -hmm. And uh, the plan had been I would fly down with my two toddlers and we'd have a a vacation. Um, He would have leave. They'd be there for 10 days, I think. And as I was on my way out the door, I realized that the island next to 
Barbados had been invaded, Grenada. Wow. Grenada, Grenada. Right, right. I remember and that. And I thought, well, there's a war there. I had to go look in the Alice to see mm-hmm. that where they were, and they were right next to each other. And I thought, I, I don't, I don't want to go to a war zone with two children. I mean, that's craziness. But Biddy signed on, and I want you to note, she rode on a steamship in December with U-boats in the water. A U-boat had sunk a ship off the coast of That's England right. the That's day right. before she sailed. Wow. They went down the, the, down the coast of France. They had to hook into, through the Straits of Gibraltar, which had, could only be gone through at night with all lights out, into the Mediterranean, which was also a home of U-boats. Mm-hmm. As they steamed into Port Said, they passed two ships that had been sunk three days before by U-boats to a land of desert sand, flies, war, you know, all sorts of fevers and sickness in a time before antibiotics with a two-year-old to live in a mud hut surrounded by Anzac troops and horses. And so, it's a Muslim country. Uh, yeah, but it was owned by the, the British were in control at the they time. Colonizing, yes. So that. I always think to myself, would I have done that? Yes. It's like, what were you thinking, Biddy? Yes. But she believed God had called her. So mm-hmm. off she went, and therein began probably the greatest ministry that both of them participated in during their lifetimes. And that was running a YMCA camp at Zaitun, seven miles north of downtown Cairo in Egypt, mm-hmm. starting in 1915. And this was her, her willingness to say yes. Now, I have to ask this question. Was most of the fodder for the books that would be written later— was that from the the college, teaching at the college, or would that be more from his ministry to the troops? Why, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to save that one. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, because uh, Oswald Chambers is most famously known for my utmost for his highest, but I remember being given the book, So Send I You, mm-hmm. which is fabulous. And I think he wrote that when he was speaking to um, at a foreign missions retreat or something along those lines. And I remember in the book, he warns the church about leaving the gospel for, um, you know, kind of for a good works premise. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was I was just curious. So Sendayu was another one that Biddy put together from her notes. I think that the preface to that is by Samuels Weimer. Right. Who was the um, missionary to the Muslims right. based in Cairo and who became a good friend of both Biddy and Oswald's. In fact, Zwemer was the presiding minister when at Oswald's burial. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, Biddy did that too. That's amazing. So, there they were at Zaitun. Okay, we're again, we're in desert and we had all these soldiers. And when Oswald got up to say there will be a Bible study here tonight, they cleared out. We said, I'm just telling you this so you can leave if you want to, and everyone left. Wow. But when two British women and a toddler arrived in the camp, those Aussies and those New Zealand soldiers, they came running, not running per se, but they wanted to see a British woman and they wanted to see that Mm two-year-old. And that two-year-old represented all the children they hadn't seen in Mm -hmm. a couple of years at that point. And Kathleen was the belle of the camp. Growing up there surrounded by soldiers, Oswald began to teach. The rooms crowded out. They began to cook for them. Mary Riley was a spectacular cook, and it was a very hopping in place there in Zaitun um, for two and a half years. Okay, we're going to – I think that's all the time we have for this 
session. But I want to come back um, tomorrow, mm -hmm. oh, actually next week, and talk about the second half and what happened and just how we have Oswald Chambers' books. So you've joined us on this podcast of Women Worth Knowing, and we're with Michelle Yule, who wrote the book Mrs. Oswald Chambers. And something very exciting for me is I love um, audiobooks, and you read this book on audio. I did. So it's available on audio because if, if this has just whetted your appetite and you say, I want to know more about this one, which we hope that's exactly what it's doing, it's available. And I love to listen to audio when I'm walking, especially stories, mm -hmm. and uh, or a long trip. And I think this would be like a fantastic book for you to get. So again, thank you for joining us on this edition. We will see you or you'll hear from us next week on Women Worth Knowing. Again, if you want to get in touch with us, it's wwk at cccm.com. And you can write us with your uh, stories of women that you think we should know, or you can ask questions and get some answers and comment. But if you're listening to us on whatever forum, please like us. It just helps others to listen or invite a friend to listen to Women Worth Knowing. So again, this is Cheryl Broderson, and I'll just sign off for Jasmine Allnut, who is not here, but she sends warm regards also. And we'll, we'll be talking next week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.